Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email info at bi-alliance.org. Thank you. 
Good afternoon, everyone. You're listening to Korean Air on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au, or on digital radio, or even podcasted. Um, so I'm joined in the studio with Jess, who... I'll... Hi. Hi. <laughs> but first, I'll just do an acknowledgement of country. This land, um, this land that we're broadcasting over is stolen land. It's the land of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples. Indigenous sovereignty was never ceded. Um, and I'd like to pay respects to elders past and present and any Indigenous listeners. And a few other things, I suppose, um, regarding my position. So in like, so all non-Indigenous people like me benefit from settler colonialism. So that's another thing. Um, on the show today, we have Jess Ison, and we're going to talk about critiques of marriage. Cool. My favourite thing to talk about. <laughs> it's also my favourite thing. <laughs> Great. It's really good to have you, in, have you here. I'm really excited to talk about marriage. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be back at 3CR. I haven't been here for a little bit since I was doing the um, Freedom of Species show a couple of years ago, so it's nice to be back in the studio. Yeah, so at first I think... Um, and so, yeah, so, we, so <laughs> listeners, we're just going to get into it in a sec. And we're going to start looking at the definition of marriage, but... Mm, in a moment. <laughs> of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Hello everyone. So you're listening to the Korean Air. I'm joined with Jess and I'm Iris. So first we're going to talk about marriage. So what, what do I actually mean by marriage? Jess, what do we mean? Um, well, marriage to me is um, a Western construct that was traditionally used um, to oppress women, uh, with women being property, and to reinforce um, you know, the, um, the Christian ideal of um, family. And that's particularly linked in with capitalism as well. Um, it's very reductive history. It's obviously um, got a lot of more nuance than that. But the very broad history is that. Um, and marriage really become you see marriage become solidified a lot more with the rise of capitalism um, and the way that uh, workers need to be uh, controlled in family units uh, and women are seen as property. So really the basics of ma- the basis of marriage is um, capitalism and the oppression of women and uh, Western colonialism. you know, to mm. put a damning side on it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I'm thinking of, like, a few key aspects. And I suppose, like, the other one is, like, marriage as, like, as, like, the U.S. Supreme 
caught quoted, and it goes on and on, like to the exclusion of all others. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the exclu- exclusivity that comes with um, monogamy mm. and the sort of like pedestal that love's put on that's sort of like come comes with marriage mm-hmm. and the discourse around marriage. Yeah, and with that, of course, um, heterosexuality being the norm um, yeah. and gay marriage obviously trying to perpetuate that. Yeah. So I'm also thinking about what role marriage plays in terms of the nuclear family and, cap- and capitalism. Mm. Could you like expand on that? Um, I guess with the kind of onset of capitalism, so um, you have people... Um, workers moving away from um, this is in, in kind of giving the Western history of it because obviously that's um, the context that we have it in uh, predominantly in Australia um, in terms of the history of it um, is that you have people going from farming rural areas in when you have the kind of industrial revolution people moving towards the cities and then within that um, you start to see the creation of the nuclear family because you're losing what was a kind of more community orientated lifestyle not to romanticize it um, but you in the in the push towards capitalism you start having um, this nuclear family because you need um, that unit to be supportive of the worker Uh, and you also need it uh, in terms of capitalism it's a really great thing for capitalism where instead of there being a communal Mm. Um, fridge, for instance, not that they had fridges back then, but for now, yeah. um, you each have a fridge in every home, right? You don't have a communal setting anymore. Um, so then every house has to buy a fridge, right? So that's the kind of a, a very obvious example of how then the nuclear family really bolsters up capitalism. Mm, yeah, that's a good example. So I'm also thinking about where like critiques of marriage emerged from. I'm uh, thinking of early critiques like Someone like Emma Goldman comes to mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, who I suppose listeners who don't know who Emma Goldman is is a famous anarchist woman from the first half of last century. Um, right about there. So yeah, mm. do you have like any like inspiring like early? I mean, most second wave feminists um, were really opposed to marriage. Um, you know, second wave feminists now get a pretty bad rap, but not all of them um, were terrible. There were some really amazing ones. And one of one of the things that they were really on about was um, marriage as oppressive towards women, um, particularly when you look at rates of um, domestic or intimate partner violence that come from the nuclear family unit. Um, feminists were incredibly... Uh, opposed to it and pushing really heavily against marriage. It was one of their main platforms, along with things like um, access to abortions, uh, was moving away from the marriage model and and also trying to support women coming out of domestic violence. And that's one of the really great things that started to shift with second wave feminism. Uh, And now, unfortunately, gay marriage is serving to kind of take it backwards away from that uh, into this idea of this happy nuclear family. Mm, yeah, and I suppose there's been like a number of historical shifts in terms of marriage in Western society and like how the state's seen marriage and like how it's become something of a choice, I suppose, that like, or it's kind of like changed, like the discourse of romantic love like mm. developed in the 20s, 1920s, and 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like this idea of love, mm. um, a romantic love, and finding this other person to complete you and this idea that people are incomplete without a partner or on like, it's like, <laughs> it applies to like any sort of partner really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this, that sort of discourse, I'm wondering what, 
like how this like perpetuates and like I suppose in a f- few weeks it's Valentine's Day again and we have all these myths about romance that are like impossible to feel and I'm wondering like what sort of pressures and impossibilities they create and like mm-hmm. and limit our relationships with one another if like in this pool of this obsession. Mm-hmm. And I mean also with the kind of now we're in, into the the, the time of neoliberal capitalism where the um, the family now is in place of the community in terms of care um, mm. in term, both emotionally and physically um, and so now you have with along with the romantic love actually the 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 role of the carer uh, in the state now instead of the state picking up that role and supporting people um, you have to get that now uh, when you're being cared for um, which is something actually queer people we've been doing for so long is um, caring for each other in a community sense um, outside of those heteronormative models of relationships uh, which is something I I would be really sad to see lost in this push towards gay marriage would be the loss of care and love that we're creating in our own communities Mm, yeah on that point I've like I read like a more optimistic article in terms of marriage and it looking about if it's like different like same gender queer relationships get access to marriage would that like change marriage would it like transform in some way would it (laughs) if only i could take a photo of your facial expression (laughs) i mean it's it's Um, just like it's just like the same as 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 white women women feminism as um is all different movements where you have people saying let's do this thing um it'll change it and we'll do the more radical thing later we just need to take this little step but now you know middle-class white women, women aren't turning around and helping... White heterosexual women aren't turning around and helping um, oppressed minorities. They're still, you know, saying that the biggest issue is, like, for instance, equal pay rather than saying, hey, actually, as white women, we have really great pay compared to women of colour or compared to other uh, minority groups, right? So I just don't think that this step towards helping some mm. will change it overall, if only, but history shows us, unfortunately, not. Once people mm. gain privileges, they don't turn around and give it back to others. Mm, yeah, I think, yeah, this reminds me of a certain point. So I'm thinking about the nuclear family and how all nuclear families aren't different and, like, how the state confers certain benefits, particularly, like, to more class privileged or, like, white class privileged families and how particularly, like, certain family structures have not been recognised by the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so particularly, like, a lot of Indigenous kinship networks or... Um, even, like, people of colour family, like, working-class families mm-hmm. do not necessarily get, like, the same benefits that, like, say, bestows on, like, middle-class, mostly white or, like, some middle-class people of colour families. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm thinking about how, like, race plays into marriage, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, race and class, and class massively, yeah. completely. It's so about, um, you know, that's why in most of the marriage ads that you see um, a lot of the people are white, um, because it's playing into this idea of acceptable gays and lesbians um, and that who's acceptable under, you know, a white supremacist society is, like, mm. um, heterosexual-looking white gays and lesbians who aren't going to be offensive. You know, what people think, is, obviously, we don't think it's offensive. We think it's fabulous. But what other people were going to find offensive, so we've got to make sure our message is acceptable mm. to them. Yeah. And we're seeing this playing out across the board in, in gay politics, like, for instance, the, what's happened with safe schools and so yeah. much of the reason that um, it, it's no coincidence that the person who was most targeted was Roz Ward, who doesn't uh, look like an acceptable mm. um, 
you know, nice, straight-looking heterosexual lady. Um, so it's, it's, it makes um, her an easier target, right, because we want to have acceptable gays and lesbians in positions of power so that we don't scare off the heterosexuals too badly. Mm, and, I, yeah, I suppose that... And also, uh, not, I, have some, I have some thoughts on that. I'm thinking about the mainstream media and its its deployment of social social panics or like mm. panics around certain issues and how we saw particularly last year a number of front covers in newspapers like the Herald Sun that particularly like often like trans women or trans feminine people like are the targets because of particular ways trans misogyny operates in a society um is seen like how could anyone want to be like a woman if they were like coercively assigned to be mm-hmm. a man and like all this sort of like organization of gender around particular hierarchies of men over women mm-hmm. that operates under that um so where i'm going with this i'm just thinking about how the mainstream media like has this power to you know like turn like set the agenda and put like limit discourse so in terms of safe schools it was like them saying the agenda with attacking safe schools and in terms of marriage it was about it's, it's continually about how marriage is a supposed like civil rights struggle, like access to marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like, where is the space for critique of marriage? Like, oh, oh. the amount of times I've heard people say it's the biggest civil rights struggle of our day, and I'm like, I, I don't think it's it's not helpful, obviously, to kind of create hierarchies of um, of oppression. However, we live, um, you know, the first thing on the top of my mind is our refugee situation in Australia, the, the horrors that we're doing to refugees. Um, yeah, I, I will create a hierarchy here and say that is a more important issue um, than, than access to gay marriage, in my opinion. Mm. I mean, I'm just, you know, the, saying that it's the number one um, civil rights issue is just so highly problematic, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I suppose, like, it's... Like, when I look to different moments in history and different, I suppose, moments in in social movements, and I don't, like, look to the 70s and, like, see people screaming marriage equality now, <laughs> that was not a concern for the radical people that inspire me. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in, in my, in my um, research... Um, so a lot of my research is around um, a group called ACT UP, the AIDS Coalition to mm. Unleash Power, um, and their response to the AIDS crisis. Um, in particularly, we did have branches in Australia who did some pretty cool stuff, but the main um, the main branch was in New York, and they did some amazing actions. Um, they did stuff like um, carrying dead bodies of people who who had died of AIDS related illness um, through the streets of New York, or they also put some of their lovers' ashes on the lawns of the White House. So this is, and when you watch the footage, it's quite traumatic. Um, the police are trying to trample them with the horses um, as they're pouring these ashes on the lawn. But they were they were pushing for really radical agenda and and without um, and without compromising. Um, not again, not to romanticise it, but um, they did do some amazing things and got some amazing change for uh, people with AIDS. Um, and so um, we have this history of really radical activism. But I think as what comes out of the AIDS crisis, um, you know, you can't. To, to do a very broad sweep of kind of 
gay, this is the gay history, obviously um, kind of LGBTQ is quite um, diverse histories, but the kind of mainstream gay history, you, can't, you see um, in the 70s this push, this um, kind of sexual revolution where you post Stonewall, um, but then the AIDS crisis hits and, is, and it hits where people are having sex and so that needs to be removed from the language around gay politics uh, is how it has is the shift you see in the 90s away from sex um, towards more respectable politics and, and in some ways it's understandable because the government was so um, so slow to act because AIDS hit predominantly gay men um, in in the West um, and so this this change when we lose so many people so so many people um, it's it's a tragic um, shift to go in and try to get um, normativity, access to um, heterosexual norms. But in some ways, it's an understandable th- um, thing that happened uh, if you were at, at the fa- in, in the face of that. But we need to shift that now because um, this respectability politic is only going to serve a few people in our community, definitely not going to leave us queers, um, you know, people who have a more queer um, political uh, mindset is going to definitely leave us out mm. in the cold. Yeah, I suppose your question brings to mind like this I suppose like particular amnesia of history and particular like queer circles I guess like yeah I'm like I suppose like the AIDS crisis did devastate different like queer like queer communities um mm. but I suppose like why like how do we like socially reproduce some sense of radical struggle without getting lost by the agenda set by the mainstream. Yeah, that's the big question. Hey, I mean, if if people weren't at um, the Midsummer Carnival, which is um, for those not in Melbourne, that's the kind of Melbourne Pride event. Um, there was some queers who jumped in uh, mm. and blocked the police. I was there watching um, on the yeah. sidelines uh, and noticed that there was there was a lot of supportive people, which was fantastic. But there was a huge amount of people who were spitting on them and yelling at them and telling them to get out as they blocked um, the police coming down through the parade. I mean, we're a community that started, um, you know, we it, it, what's it's said that we started at Stonewall, um, which was of course a riot, um, and of course that history has been massively whitewashed. Um, but there was also the Compton Cafeteria riots before that, um, which people seem to often forget about, um, probably because it was predominantly trans women of colour um, and sex workers um, who were mm, yeah. uprising. So that history is glossed over. Yeah. Um, and um, and now we have the police police marching in our parade, um, and the police being, of course, the people who. Um, are the arms of the mm. the state? So, uh, and yet most of the people in the crowd were against the poli- were for the police being there. I mean, how, how do we get to this point? This is a tragedy that this is what we are in gay politics in Australia. Mm. Yeah, I, s- I suppose I wasn't involved in the counter protests this year, but the year before that, I was involved and I did a little bit of research on Midsummer. I suppose. Like, Midsummer mostly caters to cis and straight audiences and a lot of it's promotional material, and I suppose a lot of those people there would be, like, allies in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely true that there's big cleavages in queer and trans circles, and mm-hmm. there is, like, conservatising pressures, and I suppose, yeah, in some sense, yeah, how do, like, more radical queer and trans voices try and build some sense of um, a bit like and yeah, build any sort of resistance mm. and and not be just swamped. I suppose yeah. So I suppose in some sense, sometimes I think, how can we be more effective? 
Yeah, I mean, things like this are amazing, of course. Grassroots activism is where queers have always flourished, um, you know, in any in any history that we have. Um, we can see that that's where queers are doing their amazing work is in the grassroots. And, and we have we have made amazing change. Well, sometimes it's hard to um, see that when you're stuck in it. Um, the, I mean, even the fact that people can campaign for gay marriage now is because of grassroots queer activism. Unfortunately, now they're riding off the back of that um, for a more mainstream agenda. But what, what we're constantly agitating for, we are, um, we are seeing, um, you know, some benefits from that. Um, and again, ACT UP is another example of that. Um, and there are, has been massive shifts in um, trans policy. I, I mean, again, as an anarchist, I, I don't want any of this to be going through the government. But anyway, that's the society we live in. Um, we have seen big changes. And I think it's because of radical queer activism. It's not because of people campaigning for like, um, yeah, for gay marriage or, mm. you know, ending the, um, the forced trans divorce because in Australia because we don't have gay marriage for those listening not from Australia um, because we don't have gay marriage um, yeah. if you're in a heterosexual marriage what, what the state calls a heterosexual marriage and someone transitions you have to get divorced so it's called a forced trans divorce um, so even even being able to have any of these conversations I think is because of radical queer af- activism so we've got to just keep pushing ourselves in there rather than mm. letting the mainstream voice speak the loudest yeah, yeah for sure I suppose we like there's I suppose sometimes you have to retreat into, like, looking after yourself or there's, like, moments of ups and downs in activism and moments when, like, despair predominates more, Mm. I guess. Yeah, you've got to definitely take care. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but, I mean, I I tutor at um, La Trobe University um, in gender studies and I have students that are um, 18, they're straight out of high school. Mm. They haven't heard any of this stuff before, like, at all. And they are... um, definitely open to hearing it and definitely um seeing i won't say that they all change but i see some of them uh change you can have impacts um and that seems like a small impact um but it's not it's not it's definitely not um so i guess it's it's the it's not always the the good looking activism that actually changes things it's that hard daily work Mm. the grind um, that we all do as queers because we can't not because of how we live our lives and where we're situated in a heteronormative society and mm. cisnormative society. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> uh, I think I just lost my train of thought on something I was thinking. Um, it's because I'm so cute sitting over here in these headphones. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> So, so I'm also thinking about the push for marriage and like, like what sort of discourses it promotes in terms of these organisations called equal love, mm. or like the whole like how this has been called marriage equality and, mm-hmm. um, and how those terms are quite misleading given what marriage actually is. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, so many of us, I, I just I can't fathom why we'd want to replicate. Um, heterosexual marriages where most of us grew up in, you know, across the board, it's about there's really no sex in those marriages for, and um, often unhappy homes and why on earth we'd want to repl- replicate that. Um, and one of the other things I'm always ranting on about is the way that um, what what this discourse is creating um, in cr- trying to make us normal um, is 
consistently um, desexualizing us, nonstop desexualizing us. If you watch any of the marriage equality campaigns, which I have, I've watched them all because I'm some kind of masochist, um, <laughs> is because is that they don't ever have any any sex in them, let alone even a kiss. Most of the time, if they do, it'll be a hug and a kiss on the cheek. Um, and there's just absolutely no mention of sex mm. because um, because to talk about queer sex is um, is then going to you know is going to is going to be seen as offensive to heterosexual society. Um, and that in and of itself shows that we need to keep trying to change um, what the norm. What try, keep getting actually just getting rid of the fact that there's norms at all because um, not that queerness is only about sex or that queer people all queer people that all queer people have sex of course, but um, one of the things that we have consistently trying to push back against is the fact that um, that laws, that social norms have always dictated our bodies, our genders and how we have sex. Um, so those have been so intimately linked together in, in, the, in trying to control us. And so now not talking about how we fuck, not talking about the different ways that we um, seek pleasure is, is detracting um, and in potentially going to then um, restrict us in many ways, not least of all, into sexless marriages. Um, and um, But also the thing that queers have to offer, I, I think, most amazingly in is radical ways of doing relationships, radical ways of doing sex or, or not doing sex, if that's your thing. Um, that's something actually we have to offer to heteronormative society instead of um, just missionary marriage sex. Um, we've been creating these, like I was saying before, we've been creating communities for so long. Uh, and if we keep, um, if we keep working towards, if we keep offering this amazing um, communities that we have, one of those things is around really amazing forms of pleasure. Mm. That's my sex rant that I usually go on. I didn't even um, mention fisting once, but usually <laughs> I start talking about fisting. Um, but I, I'll leave it for mm. now. I'm also wondering about the limitations of different sex acts and mm-hmm. I suppose like people doing different sex acts, people doing queer sex acts doesn't actually challenge the state or the society necessarily at all. Like you need like a social movement. So if like I've read particular articles that I think I'm trying to draw upon, but I might not be drawing upon them like with it fresh in my memory, but um, but along the lines of yeah, like your sex in of of itself is not a radical act. It can like it be easily assimilated into the current like what matters is like the political and economic structures. I don't know if that's like a if it's like dividing things in a way that might not necessarily like is, lacks nuance or something. But there's mm. also I think something to it that um like I can imagine a very like sex positive capitalism or like a more freed up version of relationships in some ways but still having these really unequal structures and yeah mm. of course of course definitely i mean there's no there's no way that um by itself but i think that in queer communities the way that we have um created s- sex and different forms of pleasure um uh it has been we along with a radical discourse it hasn't just been about um getting laid, which of course is also great if that's what you want to do. Um, but uh, it has come along with a massively radical discourse it, throughout it. And it has to have because we live in a heteronormative society. So now the sex that we do have or the forms of pleasure that we do have 
are always subversive to heteronormative society purely because um, that society says who we are is wrong and perverted. Um, and so to still, like when I think about um, when I was a little kid uh, and my first crush um, on a girl who came to our school, um, this total cute little um, bad boy, which I've got a little um, thing for, uh, and I would have been about six years old. And I knew then that what I was feeling was wrong and I had to keep it secret. And somehow somehow I'm still here now, right? I'm still somehow against all odds we're still sitting here in this room. Uh, that, to me, I think is radical and that is amazing. And so anything, any way that we're pushing back and trying to be ourselves in a heteronormative society, as much as it's a struggle and it sucks sometimes, is radical. And part of that is how we have different forms of pleasure. And I keep talking about pleasure a lot because I think in um, in our communities we're really good at talking about what we don't want, which is important. We need to, you know, yeah. we need to say we don't um, we don't want racism, we don't want sexism, etc. In our communities, that needs to always be a conversation. But we also need to talk about what we do want because we have amazing things to offer. And one of those things is is different ways of in having pleasure. And again, I don't just mean sex. I'm just yeah. talking about the different ways of enjoying um, and having pleasure because. Once we get rid of capitalism, which of course we will one day, um, we have all these amazing things to offer in a new society um, that are around what we what we can do, what can be pleasurable, what can be fun, mm. not just what we don't want. Mm. Yeah, I suppose I'm so I've recalled what I was meant to say. I was thinking of, about what the high rates of infidelity in monogamous relationships mm, mm. tell us about how these how these things aren't really particularly working um yeah, you know when um like whenever anyone hears that i'm um polyamorous they're firstly like oh you just want to have heaps of sex and i'm like well i do that's true that's not a bad thing that's a wonderful thing um of course as long as everyone involves consenting adults um but the other thing is when you're polyamorous, you tend to actually have more bloody long conversations about people's feelings and um, and what they do and don't want rather than, you know, wild orgies all the time. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there is wild orgies. But then, um, yeah, so it's, it's almost as though wanting sex is a bad thing and, of course, that's what heteronormative society says, um, that, that sex is bad unless, of course, you're... Um, you know, a cis, socialized cis male who then is, um, you know, allowed to go out and bang heaps of women and that's okay. Um, and and then, um, so that's, that's seen as all right, right, but everyone else is seen as a bad thing. But anyway, um, but of course in, in polyamorous relationships, often um, being poly is, is never really any issues that we have or for some people. It's not, of course, just all rainbows, um, but it's the first thing that heterosexuals, um, who are monogamous tend to ask, or even and gays and lesbians as well, um, is, oh, it must be so hard being poly. And I'm like, well, but you got cheated on by all of your partners or you cheated on all of your partners. Um, if you had have just talked about your feelings, if yeah. you had have just said, actually, you know what? You don't fulfill my every single desire, uh, funnily enough. Mm. Um, so maybe I need to also get my desires fulfilled by other people. Um, and not not just in terms of sex. It's not just about sex. Mm. Um, lots of my lots of my life partners are not sexual partners, um, and not that I want to create hierarchies there. Um, 
and which is also something people can't get their head around. When I talk about someone who's my partner, they will assume that we're sleeping together and often we're not. Mm. Uh, so being polyamorous isn't just about who you sleep with. And again, I also don't really know about the term polyamorous, but we'll just use that for lack of a better word. Mm. Yeah, I suppose I often don't use the term polyamorous, even though I'm pretty... I couldn't really imagine being monogamous for more than a, like a short period. Um, and I'm pretty like non-monogamous in that sense. Um, but so where I was getting at with that, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Maybe as well um, you, you're getting at like how um, monogamy is tied in with heterosexual marriage yes. and how they go hand in hand around yeah, fulfilling each other's needs and wants like that's ever possible. Um, as you mm. said earlier, because romantic love is this creation where you, f- lo- some- you love someone and yet they're your other half, um, but you can't be your own full self. Yeah. You need somebody else to be there. And, of course, that's how we um, get brought up as well, is that you'll one day find your real love. And people say that to me still. They're like, you'll, you'll settle down one day. But queers, um, there's this queer theorist, uh, Jack Halbersem, who has this book, In a Queer Time, In a Queer Place. And Halbersem talks about how our queer lives don't follow the same trajectory as heterosexual lives. Mm. We have a different life trajectory, and that is good. We don't have this kind of have a few wild years and then meet the one and settle down. Um, of course, I'm sure some gays and lesbians do that and they want that. That's fine. Um, but that's kind of not what we've done in our queer communities and hopefully what we keep not mm. doing. So I know what I wanted to talk about now. So I was thinking about how we're talking about monogamy and polyamory. So I was thinking about friendships and the particular ways that queer communities have done friendships in a way that's quite different to straight couples. And I suppose in the, with the increasing pressures of homonormativity... Like, the danger is there'll be increasing amounts of queers, like, retreating into isolated insular couple units. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I guess, like, I'd hate that to happen because there's so many, like, good things that have happened from, I guess, wider, like, self-made queer circles. Yeah. And, look, the other thing is, um, you know, I'll just, I'm just going to talk about um, violence in relationships if anyone wants to tune out for a minute, um, but I won't talk in any detail. Um, in... A lot of the studies actually show that in um, in queer relationships, we have actually quite a similar rate of um, domestic or intimate partner violence in our relationships. But actually, if you go on the Marriage Equality website, um, which I've done, and you type in um, domestic violence, all the different th- search words you can imagine, or um, refuges, anything like that is completely not mentioned. But we live in a society where we know that um, women are one of the biggest threats in women's lives is from um, in heterosexual women's lives is from um, their intimate partners and and that's and that's emerging even the same in queer relationships mm-hmm. and yet we're not talking about that when we're apparently our biggest push in our communities is for marriage yet we have no backup plan for people who are then isolated into a violent relationship uh, where are the queer refuges we don't have these we're not talking about this um, whilst we're pushing for gay marriages mm-hmm. I, I would actually potentially be more supportive of the push for gay marriage because that is what a lot of people want um, if we were actually talking about what to do, what to do when people's ma- when people's relationships turn sour um, or, or turned violent, um, we're not talking about that. So that indicates to me what we're trying to gain is norms that heterosexuals have and the privileges that come with those, rather than actually trying to look at good, sustainable ways to create relationships. Mm. Is that I don't I went on a rant there from your original question. I think. But- so, so yeah, my really short question was more in. 
French is that inst- oh, yes. intimate partner violence sort of question, and it's it's very true that queer relationships have like the same dynamics come up because I think it relates to this this whole idea about love that I suppose like we're being told to, and it cuts across your sexuality, yeah, um, and other things as well. I suppose like construction of gender that might lead you to wanting that power and control over other people. Yep. Also another one. Yeah. I suppose, like, yeah, there's a number of those things. Yeah. Um, but your point on friendships really good too, like the ways we do create amazing um, amazing friendship models um, in in queer, com- in queer communities. I was thinking about um, a friend of mine who was recently um, in hospital and um, she never once had to eat a hospital meal. Um, being vegan, trying to eat hospital food is not good. Um, but she had such amazing support from the queer community um, bringing her food comfort um, and also taking down the awful transphobic um, hospital system uh, to support her. Uh, and then we were thinking about it after and just going, wow, imagine if she didn't have this supportive community um, around her facing such an awful time in her life and transphobia. Um, you know, this would be so much harder than it is. Um, and, and because we've been fighting together um, in our communities for each other and with each other, um, we've created amazing forms of relationships and we need to keep nurturing that, um, if, especially in the face of the neoliberal state. Mm. Yeah. That's when it's best. the best thing about being queer, actually, is how many cool friends you can have. <laughs> mm, I suppose we... I think we have, like, an interesting moment at the moment because we have straight people who are kind of deserting marriage and I suppose... I suppose people, even people who do marry, are marrying later. And I mm. suppose there's more like single people, even though I'm not really attached to that term very much because I feel like it's constructed in relation to marriage or it's like, it's like how Centrelink has like single yeah. in brackets, never married. I had a form and the other day where I had to say the person was like, are you married? And I was like, no. And she was like, de facto. And I said, no. She's like, oh, so single. And I said, no. And she was like, oh, so de facto. And I said, no. And and this we went around on this for a while. And then I eventually was like, but I'm not any of these things. And she's like, oh, I'll just put you a single then. And I said, well, no, I don't want to be put down as single, actually. Have multiple um, life partners. Mm. Um, so anyway, that was just a silly thing that happened. But, yeah, sorry, I cut you off. The yeah. Centrelink one but, is good as well. Single, never uh, married. <laughs> but, and this just goes back to this push to marriage that would never consider actually... Minimising Marriage. There's a good book called Minimising Marriage by Elizabeth Brake, who wrote, makes this philosophical argument on why marriage is something that should be minimised and all the, the different taxation, legal, financial, prestige, and all, all these benefits that the state and like certain, like different people bestow to marriage just sh- shouldn't be there and how they devalue other forms of relationships like friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, so I recommend like, checking out that book if, if anyone is interested in that sort of thing. I mean, on that, one of the reasons that gay marriage was so... so um, I mean, really, the big push for it started in America, and that was around health care um, and people wanting to be able to give their partner their health care. Um, and, you know, radical queers over there were constantly going, but hang on, no, we should just all have health care. It shouldn't go off your partner because then your partner has to have a good job where they have health care in the first place. Um, so actually what we need to be pushing for is 
universal healthcare because, of course, who has good jobs um, with healthcare? Hmm. Funny, funny that it's or- the already privileged that have that access to that. Hmm. Yeah, so I guess this gets to another point I was going to ask you about. So how does um, being critical of marriage, how is it different in the context of Australia versus the US in terms of what you have mentioned? I suppose we have a healthcare system that isn't tied to marriage as much as a country like the US. Mm. Um, and all the what other ways is like importing a critique from the US kind of it doesn't quite always work in every instance. Um, I guess the other way is we have de facto, um, so people can access a lot of those privileges pretty much like a marriage anyway yeah. in Australia. Um, I guess one of the – an interesting difference in Australia is, so under John Howard, mm. he changed the, um, the, the Marriage Act to be um, – before it didn't – say he changed it so it said between a man and a woman he changed that explicitly um so in australia fighting back against that is um that is understandable that people were angry about that um when that happened because uh, that showed that was a deliberate homophobic step mm. of course um so that is a really crucial difference um that I- in australia uh, of something that happened historically um yeah and i guess it, a lot of the critiques um do do cross over um, but the healthcare one's a massive one uh, f- that's different from America, I think, is the most important one. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. So, in terms of Australia, I've also... So, there's this book called Nicola Barker that's on marriage that I've read, and from her book, I've learned about a lot of gay and lesbian organisations focused on getting the de facto recognition in the 90s rather than marriage. Mm. Um, and I suppose that book tr- drew a upon this understanding of, of marriage of being as more than just like the people who access or want to get married. So I suppose it's like it permeates two factor relationships, the particular expectations mm. around monogamy and codependence and mm. these different sorts of things that can be this and the different sort of benefits the state can bestow to particular or like relationships, like a de facto relationship and how this ties into this particular neoliberal climate we are in where the state wants to like privatize costs into particular like units instead of actually having adequate welfare mm-hmm. and we have to and we also have borders that are increasingly tied to relationships and this kind of two-pronged thing is leaving people in these relationships they're kind of stuck in there isn't isn't necessarily that many choices for many people mm-hmm. when there's so like so few economic resources for particular people mm. and a lot of the access to care and everything is in this, these relationships. Yeah, and I guess another thing is around um, children um, and the push towards being, recognizing, um, you know, all the parents on um, the birth certificate uh, when in kind of rainbow families. Um, so again, that's another understandable push within the confines of the state um, to be able to have a de facto relationship. Um, so all of that stuff is understandable, but that's definitely the push, the mainstream push for marriage equality is, yeah, love is love. It is nothing about, um, you know, you're very rarely seeing it being talked about in terms of um, people being able to access, like you were just saying, access um, this so that they can bring partners from overseas um, in terms of the border. Uh, that's definitely not the discourse that's being used um, by Marriage Equality Australia. Uh, you know, that's the kind of the that is all around love is love um 
type language, uh, i.e. give us some benefits um, for our nice um, family or relationship um, that other people can't access. Mm. Yeah, so in case anyone's tuning in, we're listening... You're, you're listening to Query Nia on 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on your AM dial. And also feel free, like, we rely on your support. So if you have any money, go to 3CR and donate. Um, and also Query Nia is looking for any... I'm looking for people to join us. So get in contact with us on Facebook or, yeah, mainly that's probably the easiest way. Um... Yeah. And we'll be back in a moment. Aha! Pansexual. Knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope... Only on 3CR, 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Hello everyone, you're listening to Queer Nia on 3CR Community Radio. I'm joined here with Jess Eisen and we've been talking about critiques of marriage. So I was reading in the paper the last few days, the Liberal government is proposing, the Liberal government of backbenchers are proposing to have a free vote on marriage because the February 11th plebiscite, that isn't, didn't happen to various, like the particular machinations that were involved in that I won't go into. Um, but because that's going to be, it's going to be past that date. So they want to, some backbenchers think now's a good time to revisit this. Um, so we have this, setting the agenda again and who knows what's going to happen with yeah I suppose Turnbull's in a precarious spot and usually appeases the conservative like the both conservative forces I mean we have to look at David Cameron as an example of someone that like explains in very uh, just a few words why he supports marriage basically because he can see it, it as a conservative cause. Hmm. Um, and Australia, I guess, is a bit of an outlier in some sense. But there is the sense that at some point, same-gender relationships will have access to marriage. And I suppose I, I grudgingly accept that. But I think, um, I think like a critique has to be pushed because like this will have an effect. And not understanding like where we're coming from will not, like, lead us to, like, transforming society. Mm. So it's, like, so important, I think, secret like, to have this sort of critique. What do you think? I, I'm with you in terms of just... I just want it to, to pass already, honestly, to get out of the way and we can start actually having some room, hopefully, though, unfortunately, as I said earlier, probably most of the people pushing for this campaign who will benefit from it won't be then turning around and fighting for other causes, but... Anyway, once it passes, hopefully we can start talking about other things. You know, one of the key things is um, queer youth suicide, career and or trans youth suicide in Australia, um, and queer and or trans youth um, homelessness. They're two of the key issues amongst others, um, but in terms of um, pressing issues right now um, is that issue of homelessness um, is something that 
you know, imagine if we were putting this much money, this much time and campaigning and, you know, celebrity endorsements and all this big corporations into um, homelessness. Of course, Mm. it's never going to happen, but uh, just imagine if that's where these resources were going right now. Mm. But instead, the state is, uh, the, the, the marriage, the marriage cause is sucking it all up. And everyone kind of says, but it'll trickle down, you know, like trickle down economics. <laughs> it'll trickle down and help, um, you know, they'll, they'll have more confidence once they can get married. Um, and then, you know, it'll help with queer youth suicide or queer homelessness. Um, okay, <laughs> sure. I don't think that that's really what's going to happen. I don't believe in the trickle down effect. No. And it's like all these corporate backers of... Like access to marriage inequality because it's an unequal institution, um, they would never support anything on homelessness on ref- refuges, really, because like they're invested in a system that maintains high house prices and all these other things. They are not interested in these like issues that would materially change people's lives. And we have to ask like, who like benefits most from marriage? Who in particular like? Queer circles benefits most. Yep, exactly. And and the the people that benefit aren't aren't also going to once they get that privilege, give it to the rest of um, the queer community. I don't think so. No. Mm. Yeah. Do you know anything about overseas when different states have given access to marriage to queers? Like what the effect has been on different queer communities? Um, well, I have an example. There you go. You go. So in Canada, a lot of the state also used that to defund like a bunch of queer organizations because it's kind of seen like as queer struggles were over and it kind of that supposed win the states have used and and how that like the push for that sort of demobilized other struggles so it went along with a lot of defunding of important services and that's what i fear might happen in australia as well if that's like i suppose like how the mainstream media plays it out as if it's the most important issue when it's no one's most important issue that I know. And <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and also, again, I just don't understand why as queer people or, you know, um, anyone for why we would want to trust the state. Um, because, again, the most obvious example of safe schools where um, we had such a huge um, pushback, the queer community had such a huge pushback and got safe schools reinstated in Victoria and people were very supportive of the Labor government here who were saying that um, in Victoria they were going to keep supporting safe schools. Oh, and now what? They're moving safe schools to the... Um, the education department and all these mainstream gays and lesbians are like, oh, great. Now it'll be a much better program, not the people who, the queer people who started it, uh, who know all the schools, know all the students. No, no, they can't run it well. It must be the state. Why would any of us ever trust that? So why would we ever trust them giving us marriage and then thinking that then that'll lead to more um, benefits for us? Of course it won't. Of course it'll only benefit some and the state will then use that, like you said, to say now we've had gay liberation. You can um, stop asking for things. Uh, whilst it keeps screwing the rest of us. Mm. Yeah, safe. Yeah, the Andrews government is very clever in its particular sort of like pro-cop, pro-prison, so-called respectful relationships agenda. And I think there's ways in which they're tied. And I think there needs to be an article written on like sort of like tying a few things together that the Andrews government is doing. Um, but nevertheless, I'll revisit that at another point. 
So the other like other side of the coin is who loses from access to marriage, and then I suppose at the same time as straight people are leaving it, this kind of reification of marriage because like to push for marriage, all the ads and stuff. I have to say how like how great it is, or just yeah, that sort of thing. And I suppose I suppose a lot of people don't necessarily think it that way, but in terms of the benefits of marriage. Mm-hmm. It's actually people who are not married that actually subsidize the benefits of marriage. So it's like single people often mm-hmm. who subsidize it. Mm. Um, but then, but also it's kind of depends on race and class and other things in terms of like, I suppose it's like Centrelink were the one of the, the first people to recognize same gender relationships because it means they can cut the payments because being in a couple and on welfare they want you to be more codependent so they like cut the payments and they save money mm-hmm. yeah that's a, that's i mean that's case in point right that's just absolute case in point that that's what happened from yeah. um the push towards marriage was was what happened with centrelink so i think that we need to keep pushing back against that and creating radical queer um community spaces relationships and forms of love yeah and on that note i think we're about to run out of time. So thanks for listening, everyone. Um, stay tuned for Hip Sister Hop next. And you can catch us ne- next week on Cronia at between three and four. And that's about all from, from now. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hand. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email info at by-alliance.org.
on, she said, see Dr. Brad, who let you know if he's straight or bad. At the doctor's office, I exposed my arm, if it's a Dr. Brad, can see straight or a counterfeit. Mid-slam, he said, damn, damn, boy, this is queer-ass shit. Not to mention it, sniff a rabbit happy. Damn, boy, this is queer-ass shit. Not to mention it, sniff a rabbit happy. Rabbit habit, it's more addictive than cabbage. Don't mind the front, but prefer the back cabin in the park after dark. Take a quick stab at it, quit, pick your pink, think shit is having a rabbit happy. Two veg in a pop, wanna get off, but you're in the shops. No cops, but you know that the law ain't soft. So you spill a chicken, chicken, screw the Nutri-Grade box. Rabbit habit, takes over your consciousness. Wake up in the morning, what's the point in getting dressed? When your thighs are on fire and your eyes are gyrating. Salivating beak and your lips are masturbating. Rabbit habit, saw some in from the boys. Shove his head in the pillow, cause he's making too much noise. Boy, neighbors are planning, helicopters overhead. Shout have it like this, you can fuck when you're dead. Your girls are cool, your girls are tease, man. Rabbit up's a handicap and they don't take it seriously. Ladies and gentlemen, it's beyond a joke when you're about to poke. They're up in smoke. Yeah, blokes on the other hand, a handy when you need a hand. A happy slap upon the back and bend it down and give it that. They're cool with that. They give it back. Being fags a happy fat. One thing that no good for me is heterosexuality. Good afternoon, everyone.